Hey guys, welcome to the show. Before we begin, I'd like to let you know that you can find us on Twitter at ICGAW, that's I-C-G-A-W, and you can also email us at ICGAWpod at gmail.com. Today, towards the end of the show, we'll be discussing maybe the best question we've been asked in our short history of the show, so please feel free to add to the conversation and shoot them in. Tell your friends to check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. All right, here we go. My friends, welcome to It Can't Get Any Worse, America's Worst Podcast for America's Worst Hockey Team. I'm your host, Jay, and uh, before we get going, we do have some important um, news to take care of, and we would like to wish our sweet boy, Jack Eichel, a happy 22nd birthday. So happy birthday to Jack. On today's show, we will be talking about the prevalence of elite American talent in the league in our What Are You Reading section. We'll be reviewing a three-point haul against the Canadians and Blue Jackets, and we'll be looking ahead to some games against the Flames, Senators, and Rangers. To finish up the show, we'll be talking about what's going on down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and answering one of maybe the greatest questions we've been ha- we've had on the show so far. So we're excited about today's show. We're going to move right on into part one with What Are You Reading? So in our What Are You Reading section, we're uh, pulling something in from 538 today. This is from Terrence Doyle and Neil Payne at 538.com, and it is the Toronto Maple Leafs needed an American to become Stanley Cup contenders again. And obviously, this one's going to be about Austin Matthews. Um, you know, this is a Sabres podcast, and so don't please don't murder me for this. But if, if I had to pick a player who was just my absolute favorite player to watch on and off the ice who wasn't on the Sabres. Unfortunately, I have to pick a Toronto Maple Leaf, and it's by far Austin Matthews. I just think he's an incredible player to watch, an incredible personality to take in when you see him in um, different press conference situations. So I'm a big fan, and anytime something Austin Matthews-related pops up, I'm usually drawn to it to read it. Um, This article in particular starts off by discussing, obviously, the Leafs' historic past success and how um, up until they started expanding the league in the late 60s, they were one of the most dominant teams in the league. Um, 13 Stanley Cups, just one fewer than Montreal, whom they compare them to in this article. And if you fast forward to 2018, Montreal has won 10 Cups since that point, and the Leafs are still on number 13. Um, So talking about the... Um, just rode back into relevancy for the Leafs um, and discusses their hot start this season. They've won six of their first nine games um, and how one of their major pieces of their revival over the last couple of seasons is obviously Arizona native Austin Matthews as one of the main pieces in this success. Um, Outside of this article, quick just overview of Matthews' career since coming into the NHL. Um, His rookie season, he scored 40 goals and 29 assists for 69 points in 82 games. Last season, he did have a little bit of an injury bug. I know he missed, uh, what would it be, 20 games due to injury at one point in the season. 
Um, and so he came in with 34 goals, 29 assists, and for 63 points in 62 games. So even though he um, finished with a lower point total, he did that in 20 less games and was obviously significantly improved in his second season despite the injury. So far through 10 games this season, he has uh, 10 goals and 6 assists for 16 points in 10 games. Um, quick side note, he was injured last in last night's game against the Jets, but the article um, came out before this and mentions how Matthews could be on track to break uh, Ovechkin's goals in October record, which was 14, but if Matthews misses any time for that, it's probably going to be a little bit unlikely. Um, back to the article, its main focus is on Americans excelling on Canadian teams and really just kind of how unusual it is. And if you think about it, it's really rare to see high-level American talent being the frontline players for a Canadian franchise. And they have a stat that kind of illustrates that um, only 51 out of 1,240 first-round picks since expansion have been Americans selected by Canadian teams. Um, and only four of those were selected by Toronto. So Austin Matthews was the first American first-round pick by Toronto since Landon Wilson in 1993. And that disparity in Toronto and around the league in um, Canadian teams seems to be pretty significant. So they go on to post a series of stats comparing the share of American game-skated goals, assists, and points on NHL teams in Canada versus teams in the United States. And as you are, you would probably not be surprised to hear that in the United States, American players hold a larger amount, um, larger percentage of the share, rather. So game-skated uh, Canadian teams, 11.9% to 17.1% in the United States. Share of goals scored, 10.6% of Americans on Canadian teams to 15% of Americans on U.S. teams. Assists, 109 in Canada to 155 in the United States. And points, 107 to 153 in the United States. Um, out of those... Interestingly enough, the Flames, Oilers, and Senators float mostly above those averages, and the Leafs, Canucks, and Nordics, now the Avalanche, are way below those averages. Um, something else that's also kind of interesting is that the Jets are way above that average, almost twice the percentages, but that's probably due to the fact that they were an American team in Atlanta before they were transferred back to reopen a franchise in Winnipeg. Um, I just found that this was kind of interesting. I mean, the article kind of ends there, just illustrating the fact that Austin Matthews being a frontline piece of the, um, of the, of a Toronto and specifically a Canadian team, um, is very rare. Um, but I would kind of like to shift back to our discussion of development paths last week when we talked about, and, uh, the, or the rising percentage of NCAA products on the ice and off the ice in NHL franchises. Um, Austin Matthews is insane. And I don't think there's much of an argument now to argue that he is the best American player in the game. You could try to die on the hill with Patrick Kane, and I wouldn't fight you on it. I mean, you are comparing a center 
to a winger um, in two very different franchises, obviously a rising one in Toronto and one that's kind of struggling right now to hold on and stay at the top of the table um, in the Chicago Blackhawks. But I just wanted to go over, and I'm going to use a very debated ranking system that is always the hot topic of every summer. It's the NHL's top 50 going into this season. Um, Obviously, folks debate about who should be where and whether or not certain players should or should not be ranked in certain places. Um, But I'm going to go off of this because while places on this list could be debated, I think it's a good illustration of just, first of all, how significant Austin Matthews' performance Um, over the last couple seasons is, and also the lack of elite talent coming out of college programs uh, in the United States compared to elsewhere. Um, So before we get into this list, I'm going to mention there are two NCAA products who are on here who I'm not going to talk about, and it's Jonathan Quick and Connor Hellebuck. They're they're goalies, um, and so I would prefer to talk about skaters in this Light. And so on the top 50 list, Austin Matthews is ranked 10th. He is followed very closely by Patrick Kane, who is ranked 12th. Now, Austin Matthews had kind of a little bit of a unique development path in that he played for the U.S. hockey development team from 2013 to 2015. And then he spent his last year doing something a little unique playing professionally in Switzerland before he was drafted. So obviously not a college track development path. Patrick Kane, another American, ranked 12th on this list, played in the OHL and did not attend a college program either. Blake Wheeler, first of all, you're dropping down 26, um, or what would it be, 14 spots to the next American, and he is our first college track player, 26 overall on this list, um, played for the University of Minnesota. Then you've got Seth Jones is the next American player at 32, and he was expected to play for North Dakota. This is right off his Wikipedia page, so correct me if I'm wrong, Um, but he ended up in the WHL. Then you do finally have, after Blake Wheeler at 26, Once you get to 35, some NCAA talents start popping up a little more significantly. Johnny Goudreau, 35th, went to Boston College. Uh, Phil Kessel, 37th, he went to Minnesota. Um, John Carlson, another American, but he played in the OHL. And finally, our sweet boy, Jack Eichel from Boston University. And Dustin Bufflin rounds it out as the last American uh, at 47th out of the 50, but he was a WHL talent. Um, so yeah, as we said last week, we talked about college products becoming more prevalent in the NHL, but what it doesn't seem to show is that our elite players in the NHL are obviously statistically not coming from college level programs. Um, out of the top 50 on that list, the 10 American skaters, um, on that list, only four of them played college hockey and the first player to appear on that list isn't until Blake Wheeler at 26th. Um, I don't know this is necessarily news that the NCAA isn't developing our elite American talent coming out of um, the United States, but it was just kind of interesting to see these stats regarding Americans on Canadian teams, um, how ridiculously good Austin Matthews is compared to other Americans in the league, um, and just our just contrasting that with our discussion on development paths last week. 
Um, I will tweet out the link to that 538 article. There are a couple interesting stats in there that I didn't mention that might be worth checking out. Um, what do you guys think? Is, um, is First of all, is Austin Matthews the best American in the league? Am I wrong in immediately jumping to that discussion? If you would like to die in the hill of Patrick Kane, please feel free to yell at me. Um, just personally looking at his stats right off the bat in his last couple of seasons, Austin Matthews is just an incredible player. And not to say that Patrick Kane isn't, but I, I really genuinely think we're looking at a different echelon of player to even Patrick Kane. Um, something came up in some conversations a couple weeks, uh, a couple days ago about talking about, well, who's better, Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid? And in that debate came out the, well, what about Austin Matthews? And I don't think you can legitimately say that Austin Matthews is better than either of those players. But I also don't think you can have the conversation without at least mentioning Austin Matthews. He, he is that incredible. Um, it'll be interesting to see what his future on the Maple Leafs holds, um, considering they did go and secure their Toronto native Canadian talent in John Tavares, who's going to be, you know, it's kind of interesting bringing in a Canadian to Toronto. He's a center, and it'll be interesting to see what Austin Matthews' future holds in Toronto with the acquisition of an elite Canadian talent at center who would you would think would be the face of the franchise over an American, especially considering the stats with Toronto and American players in the past. Something interesting to look to. That's it for our What Are You Reading section. I'll tweet out that link. And we'll move into part two. We're going to review our games against Montreal. And, oh my gosh, mental lapse. The Columbus Blue Jackets. There we go. We'll see you in a second. All right, welcome back to part two where we are going to be looking at our games against Montreal and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Montreal came to town on Thursday night, and they were coming into the game 5-1-2 and two after beating Calgary 3-2 Tuesday earlier that week. Lines for the game were largely unchanged. Carter Hutton came back in um, to play at home, but the shifts in lines that we had seen with Pominville moving to the top line, uh, Sabatka coming into the second line with Connor Sherry and Sam Reinhart, um, and then the small defensive shuffle with McCabe moving up to the top line with Risto and Darlene moving to play with Nelson stayed the same. Um, game got off to a bit of a rough start. About a minute and a half in, uh, Scandella has a failed clearance attempt, attempt for probably just, I don't know, the umpteenth time this season. Domi picks it up, just completely emasculates Jason Pominville and wires it over Hutton's shoulder from the slot. It's Domi's third that season. Um, rough start for the, the Sabres uh, and great start for the Montreal Canadiens displaying just their tenacity and pace that they've had on display so far this season. Um, just about a minute later, Casey Middlestat almost answered. He had a, just a highlight reel deke going through the center of the ice um, would have been his first Sabres goal of the season, but he got stripped of the puck right at the end. Sabres did go on the penalty kill about three and a half minutes in. Risto went to the box, but the Sabres were just dialed in with some huge blocked shots from McCabe. He actually had two blocked shots during this one and Nelson. And that 
to start off the game, while they were one nothing down, that was good to see because I don't know that we saw too much of the um, the sacrifices, particularly on the penalty kill and just willing to put the body on the line in the slot. Um, later, after the penalty kill, successful penalty kill, there is a line shift where Darlene moved up with Risto to the top line. It didn't stay that way throughout the rest of the game, but it was something that was kind of interesting. Maybe just um, Phil Housley trying to make something happen. Um, and they did turn it up later in the period as a result of that. Berglund got a few chances. Sabatka gets on a good approach in the slot um, after some good play by Evan Rodriguez. Unfortunately, no dice. Um, Niemi was strong. The Canadians' pace, clinical passing, continues to be pretty challenging. I think Sabres had a good amount of possession, um, but unfortunately, I think you would give the best chances to the Canadians in this one. They were tearing their way back down the ice in transition. Thankfully, the period ends just one nothing. not a whole lot of damage. Um, in the second, Sabres get their first power play. Skinner drew a high stick. That new-look power play with Skinner, Eichel, Middlestat, Darlene, and Pominville came out. Um, and unfortunately, there weren't there wasn't a wealth of chances. Pominville had a pretty good tipped shot off a Middlestat feed, um, but they weren't able to capitalize on this one. Shortly after that, uh, McKay rang the post. No Dan, uh, no Dan Dunleavy on the call this time. It was Rick Janaret, so we didn't get a doink, but he did ring the crossbar. Nine minutes into the second period, Skinner just peels off a man on the boards into the neutral zone, um, speeds on end with a two-on-one rush with Pominville, spits it to the front of the net. It really wasn't the best pass. You couldn't really decide if it was supposed to be a shot or supposed to be a pass, but it boggles off of Niemi's pad, and Pominville cleans up in the crease after hitting the net hard. And he's got five points in his last three games. Skinner, six in his last three. 1-1, Pominville. Only four minutes later, there was a bit of a weird one. Uh, Code Kaniemi beat Bogosian on an icing call. And it looked like Carter Hutton had trapped the puck against the side of the net. But the next thing you know, Joel Armia has pulled it around the other side of the net and backhanded one past Carter Hutton. Um... 2-1 to the former Sabre. A uh, bit of a weird one, just kind of a, a bit of a broken play. I think Bogosian was definitely expecting an icing call. He was complaining afterwards, but then you, you thought the play was dead. Like, it looked on camera that Hutton had it. Hutton kind of froze as if he did have it, and he very clearly didn't. 2-1. Um, Sabres did look to respond. McCabe drew a holding penalty as he was bursting through the neutral zone, and Shaw goes to the box. There was a long period of possession and Middlestat is flicking them to the post and the Sabres equalizer comes kind of under strange circumstances. Uh, Pominville is in front of the net and gets just brutally cross-checked into Niemi. Niemi ends up on the ground. Pominville gets up before Niemi can recover and Puck falls to him and he roofs it over Niemi um, just as Niemi has fully recovered and gotten back to his position. Montreal challenges on goaltender interference, but obviously with the cross-check, Palmer didn't initiate the contact, and Niemi did have some time to recover, so the call stands 2-2. Shortly after that, there was, there was the comedy moment of the game where Patrick Berglund gets a chance in front, flips it onto Niemi, the puck actually ends up in the air, 
um, right back around Berglund's head level, and he legitimately tried to head the puck back on goal um, to Niemi. Wasn't, wasn't the greatest attempt, but definitely a comedy moment on that front. Later in the period, Ocposo gets called for a bit of a, a weak hooking call, um, but if the hooking call was weak, he was definitely going to the box anyway because he put a rough hit on a Canadian that didn't get a call for boarding. A little bit of a scrum after this one. Sabres penalty kill regardless. Thankfully, they see it out um, through the rest of the second, but have about a minute left on the penalty kill going into the third. Um, second was a good period for them. At the end of that one, they were out shooting the Canadians 27-18, to 18, battling back twice um, to make it to 2-2. So, successful period for them. Uh, They started the third by successfully killing the penalty. The Sabres did get a little lifeless and disjointed for a few minutes, um, but they did come back to life. Good chances for Eichel in the slot um, and Pominville on a couple of rebounds. That top line just looks great. Um, That addition of Jason Pominville definitely raised a couple of eyebrows, but I think he just gives us a really steady presence next to Eichel and Skinner, who are obviously um, guys who will shoot first and ask questions later. We'll talk about Pominville a little bit more in a second. Long period of less uh, possession for the second line. Sabatka weirdly looks pretty good there as well. The scoring hasn't necessarily fallen for him, but with a player like Sherry, who is an exceptional four-checker um, and goal scorer and a player like Reinhardt, who's going to do the dirty stuff in front of the net. Just a, the tenacity and the hard work of Sabatka has looked, has looked good on that line. He's, he's not you know a, a grade A talent player, but he's looked good in that position. Um, Sabres looking great. Long period of possession for that second line, as we talked about. And then... Domi flies in over the line through McCabe and Erod and snaps one over the other shoulder of Carter Hutton for his second of the game, and suddenly it's 3-2. And that was kind of the narrative for this game, is that Sabres are playing exceptionally well, doing well, getting pucks to the net. Their possession stats were insane, and then transition, and Montreal scores. Um, Thankfully, Sabres got a bit of a freebie on a too-many-men call, uh, McCabe had played a terrible pass to a Montreal Canadian, but it actually activates the Montreal possession before their player had gotten to the bench. Um, so they got a freebie, but unfortunately it was a totally lifeless power play um, where Montreal cleared the puck no less than five times. Sabres really struggled to establish possession. A couple minutes later, thankfully, despite having that really rough pass um, and a couple other rough moments in that McGa- uh, game, we had an instance where Connor Sherry just made an incredible cross-ice pass to McCabe, who was streaking down on the far side. McCabe squares it to Reinhardt out in front in Reinhardt land, and he finishes in close uh, for his first of the season, finally. It's about time. It's 3-3. Reinhardt looked relieved, but also kind of a little injured after scoring. If you saw the replay, you saw that he took a really rough one to the ribs, while battling in play in front. He gets back up, gets back in the zone alone in front, um, and scores a goal. So good on him. Six points in nine games for him, even only with one goal, is his hottest start to an NHL career, which is um, a little little damning, but maybe not news. We know that Reinhardt has um, token bad, not bad, token slow starts to the season, and because he hadn't gotten on the score sheet in the goal form, in uh, the last the, 
the first start to this season. I think people were starting to hop on him a little bit, um, but six points in nine games is the hottest he's ever started um, his in an NHL season. So an interesting stat there. Um, McCabe does get sprung loose late in the period, but he can't really untie himself to make a quality shot. Petrie got in at one point and just burned Scandella and rattled one off the post. That would have been just a crushing end to this game, but Scandella's rough night continues. Late in the game, two minutes left, Sherry draws a penalty off Armia with one minute remaining, and it was just a huge moment. And that new-look power play goes out, but there was a weird change. I don't know about weird, um, but Akposo replaces Middlestat. So it's Skinner, Eichel, Akposo, Darlene, Pominville moving out for the power play. About 45 seconds in, um, pucks bouncing around in the back of the zone. Darlene feeds Akposo on the point, and he scores with one minute left. Just meaty post sound. Uh, Montreal has no timeout after they lost their challenge. There's one minute left. Carter Hutton makes uh, makes a save with three seconds left and then gets squished, and everybody crashes the net a little bit. A little bit of a scrum, but the game ends, and the team moves to 6-4. and four. It is statistically the best start to a season since 2011, and the team battled back from being down three times. And that's a stark contrast from last season and even this season, we talked about just the, the struggles of this team this season in coming back from situations where they were down. A lot of the defeats in this uh, this season had been really horrific defeats where once the team got scored on, they were out of the game. So to see them battle back from these positions was really refreshing. To do it several times in one game was really impressive. Uh, largely, it was a really good game. They were really dominant other than two highlight reel goals and a broken play weird situation with that Joel Armia goal. Um, good performance, good thing to see. Uh, Jason Pominville said afterwards that he felt that that was the loudest he had heard that stadium since coming back to the team, and he specifically referenced the era of, you know, your Vanics and Drury's and whatnots um, and said it was the loudest he had heard in the team since then. Um, impressive game, and the Sabres move that momentum into their game against Columbus. Um, bit of a lineup shakeup. It was announced shortly before the game that Evan Rodriguez had returned home to Buffalo for personal reasons. At this time, we don't know if uh, those are good personal reasons or unfortunate pers- personal regions, regions, reasons. Um, but we wish all the best for Evan Rodriguez. Hopefully, the news is very positive. Um, but coming into the lineup to replace him was Tage Thompson. So the top six remains the same, but line three involved Tage Thompson, Casey Middlestat, and Connor Sherry um, instead of Tage Thompson. And he started off absolutely fantastic. Early on, he got set loose with a two-on-one with Ocposo. Tage Thompson squares with a great pass underneath a diving Columbus defender. Oki makes no mistake. It's Thompson's first point as a saver, and the Sabres are up one nothing early on. They almost doubled it with several Berglund chances, um, had a pretty solid good period of possession, but rather suddenly um, Duclair is set free, and he rings the corner of the post past Linus Allmark. 
Thankfully, that one stays out, but a bit of a warning shot, and the crazy start continues. Columbus followed that up with a flurry of possession, and unfortunately, Dalene goes to the box for a holding call. It's a little problematic that we're going to the PK in that Evan Rodriguez was a pretty significant part of the penalty kill. However, Linus Allmark is super strong. He had some good gloves, but the team is just letting too many chances get through to him early on in this game. The Sabres do kill the penalty, but very shortly afterwards, Panarin feeds Pierre-Luc Dubois on the transition. He comes down the right and feeds it inside Linus's blocker side post, 1-1, and Panarin's 10th assist of the season. Followed up with some huge pressure. Good saves from Linus continues. Um, I, I think he wants that first goal back, if I'm perfectly honest. This was largely a good performance from him, um, at least early on in this game. That first goal was good, but he looks strong. He looks significant in the back of the net. Um, later on, McCabe plays it from the point into traffic. It's tipped by a Columbus player and falls at an awkward angle to Skinner, and Skinner makes no mistake. It was challenged on an offside goal or offside challenge, but Columbus lost the challenge and were assessed a delay of game penalty. Uh, that's a new rule this year that if you lose that challenge on the offside rule, you are assessed a penalty rather than losing a timeout. And it looked like I'm curious. I would be curious to see John Tortorella's post-game interview because um, John Tortorella's reaction seemed to suggest that he didn't know that. Um, he had kind of a bemused look afterwards about the fact that they were going to the penalty kill after challenging uh, this goal. Power play doesn't come to much, um, but the Sabers did have some life through the end of the period, and the Sabers were out shooting the Columbus Blue Jackets 17 to 12 at the end of the period. Fortunately, the second period doesn't get off to a great start. Um, Cam Atkinson goes by Larson just way too easily, and he feeds Panarin in front, and the calamity of that Larson play continues. McCabe basically fell over in front of the net. Linus kind of fanned on an attempt to grab it, and it's 2-2. Panarin makes no mistake. The next couple of minutes kind of see some uh, warning signals coming on as the, the Sabres are trying to increase per, increase their, their possession, increase their, their hold on the game. Dalene goes coast-to-coast coast at one point, but he misses the net with his shot, triggers a three-on-one the other way. Thankfully, Linus makes the save, um, but unfortunately, in a good chunk of possession, Risto slashes a Blue Jacket, and the Sabres go on the penalty kill. Cam Atkinson gets a good back-and-forth with Nash, um, gets Linus to commit, and gets his fifth of the season and it's 3-2. Right off the draw, Cam goes in again uncontested and flips it right underneath Linus Allmark. That's his sixth of the season, five-hole on Linus, um, who had been really strong in the opening game. But you could maybe look at all three Columbus Blue Jackets' goal and say uh, he kind of would have wanted those back. Right at the end of the second, Jack does get down the ice on a breakaway, but he can't get off um, the quality shot in time. Um, The buzzer rang kind of right as uh, the save was made. Kind of a frustrating period. Um, Columbus were better than them, but the Sabres were kind of handing that opportunity for them to be better right to them. They were turning over the puck left and right. All of the goals had some aspect of them that you would kind of want back, especially in this period. Letting players in through on goal for free, 
letting players through the zone for free. Um, and then, of course, at, at the very back end, I think Linus Allmark definitely wants these two back as well. Third period was a little bit of a question mark um, in that McCabe did not finish the second period. He was on, but he came back out on the bench. Thankfully, we weren't going to have to see Scandella paired with Ristolainen again. He returns, um, but he also gives Nick Foligno a bit of a free go on Linus early in the third. So the third starting off not unlike the second. Um, Two and a half minutes in, however, Eichel gets below the net and feeds just a fantastic no-look between the legs pass to Pominville in front. 4-3, Pominville's second of the game. Um, Later on, Savard goes to the box for slashing. Thompson, as he's going through, fans are getting a little irate at this point. Um, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets are going to the box. This is shortly after there was a bit of a no call on Atkinson, but this is when Atkinson just kind of literally fell over Zemgis Gergensen's while Gergensen's was just laying on the ice. It was a good no call, but the fans are getting a little grumpy at this point. Bit of a scrum in front, and Casey Middlestat gets off the mark for the season, um, flipping the puck into the net. It was kind of funny because you can watch this replay a couple different times, and it's still really hard to tell if Casey Middlestat was the last saber to, to push the puck in. And he is seen on the bench pretty audibly saying, I don't know, um, to the rest of the bench about whether or not he actually scored it. Um, Duclair gets one off the post shortly afterwards. And because it's Dan Dunleavy on the call, we do get our first Dan Dunleavy doink of the game, 45 minutes into the game. And the puck actually flirted with the line behind Linus Allmark. But Casey Nelson steals in, grabs it before it goes over the line. Bit of a rough one. Uh, Kyle Poso goes to the box with six minutes in on an interference call. You, you get almost some ironic cheers from the Columbus fans, but Sabres have a good kill. Uh, towards the end of it, Zach Wierenski knocks Linus while he's going in, and so the Sabres get, Shavers, the Sabres get a bit of a shift in man possession. Um, rough power play, few scrappy chances, but nothing of note. Eichel shortly afterwards get a high, gets a highlight real toe drag, but Corpusallo makes the save, and that cues a bit of a transition towards some strong Sabres pressure. Patrick Berglund, all three miles per hour of Patrick Berglund, draws a tripping penalty, um, and the fans just melted. Um, but no real scoring chance, unfortunately, for this one. Reinhardt and McCabe did get some late chances that Corpusella was able to deal with, but at the end, we go to overtime for the first time this season. Um, the Sabres rolled out with their line of Skinner, Eichel, and Ristolainen against the Columbus Blue Jackets, Panarin, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and Seth Jones. And Dan Dunleavy opens up by saying, well, we just can't give Panarin a look here. And about 45 seconds in, there's a scrum in the corner. Jack looked like he thought the Sabres had had possession because he peeled away towards the other end of the defensive zone. But very clearly, very early on, uh, the Sabres don't have possession. And Panarin gets a look that Dan Dunleavy mentioned, and he scores. And so we get our first overtime period, first overtime loss of the season. Um, This one... All right, you're playing a good team, and 
a really good team away from home. You're coming away with one point. I think this is a game that, you know, you with the result, you can feel pretty positively. I don't know that the performance is necessarily one that you could feel that positive about. Um, Sabres had two late power play opportunities to win that game. They didn't get anything on it. The power play went one for five on the night. A um, couple things to get down on, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you're talking about a three-game win streak that becomes a four-game point streak. Um you can't get super critical, but I think there are, there are things in this game that they would have wanted back. There were periods of this game where they had this Columbus Blue Jackets team on the ropes, and then there were periods of play in this game where they looked like the Sabres of last season. So things to go back and work on after this one. Talking some stock up and stock down over these last two games, we've got to talk about Jason Pominville in our stock up section. He's got eight points in his last four games, He's which has seen him move up to the top, uh, top line and the top power play line. He just looks like, at 35 years old, a star, young, 25-year-old player. Um, but he's also willing to do just the the dirty work. He's willing to be that front net presence, which has seen him get a bunch of scrappy goals. Um, we put him on like a subtle, small hot seat in our Sabres season preview, where we were just thinking about how, look, he's he's 35, he's UFA at the end of the season, and this is his, his season to show what he can do, whether it's... Um, whether it's being dealt at the deadline to a team who's going to want him if the Sabres aren't making the playoffs, or whether it's earning a contract with an NHL team next season. This season, for what he needs it to be, it's going exactly as he needs it to. So good on him, good for the Sabres to see this veteran talent playing through. We're also going to talk about Casey Middlestat. He finally got off the goal or got off the mark with his first goal of the season. Um, albeit it's kind of an ugly goal, and we aren't exactly positive that it's definitely his. He does get his first recorded goal of the season against Columbus. He's looking really good. Um, and while the goals haven't fallen to him, I can remember at least four posts this season that he's had. He's getting into the right place. He's able to play through players. And what's particularly impressive to me is that he's he's not letting his size get in the way of how he wants to play. You can see him be a tenacious, puck-moving player out there. He's using what little bit of body he has very well. He's getting involved in the board games. He's not getting trapped in a lot of positions where he's not going to be particularly strong. He's looked great while the numbers haven't exactly fallen for him. Um, so I'm putting his stock up this time around. Stock down. Do have to talk about Linus Allmark a little bit. He cooled way down in this Columbus game. Um, he had a couple where you would have thought some better p- positioning um, on one, and he could have done a little bit better on maybe most of the rest of them. It's his third game of the season, and it was his first game of the season where he was playing like a really good team. Um, but maybe a reminder of just where he is in his development, a lot of learning opportunities for him in this game, and maybe a reminder for us as Sabres fans that like Carter Hutton is our number one going forward at the moment right here. Linus Allmark seems to be the guy of the future. The franchise really likes him, but this was one where you were watching a couple different plays and thinking, all right, he's got some things he's going to want to work on after this one. We also have to talk about Scandella. Um... In that Montreal win, the Sabres' possession stats and Corsi's stats across the board were largely phenomenal. 
and the only Corsi stats that weren't positive from that game were the Bogo and Scandella pairing. Um, He's on a bit of a microscope by fans at the moment, and Sabres Twitter seems to have it in for him, but there are some points to be had here. He's slow, which isn't the most immediately damning damning item, but he's also really struggling to get the puck out of the defensive zone when he's under pressure. You can think of three or four goals this season that have come immediately after a Scandella turnover. Some of them are his fault. One of them, I remember, hit a ref. Um, But some of them are ones that like, all right, man, you've got to get the puck out of the zone in that circumstance, even if you have to ice it. Um, don't give them an immediate scoring opportunity. But that Domi goal to start off that Montreal game was immediately him, um, or immediately on him. And a couple other chances that come to mind where just he gets burned very often um, with players coming down that left-hand side. His stock has fallen down a little bit. And I, th- I think what you can consider, um, or a situation where he can consider himself lucky is he's making at $4 million a year maybe a little bit more than he's worth. And I think at this point, like, Beaulieu is coming in and out of the team. Um, we'll talk about Lawrence Pilot a little bit more in a second. But I think what's really keeping Scandella in this team and away from being a healthy scratch is the fact that, one, I think he has a bit of a leadership presence on the team. But number two, like, he, he's making a little bit too much money to be scratching on a regular basis. And so hopefully looking for some better performances from Scandella going forward on an immediate basis. That's it for part two, reviewing our games. Join us in part three we're gonna, where we're going to be previewing our next games against the Flames, Ottawa Senators, and New York Rangers. See you in a second. All right, welcome back to part three, where we're going to be looking ahead to the Sabres' next games, talking about what's going on around or down the road in Rochester, around town in the league, and answering a fun question by one of your fellow listeners at the end of the show. Up first on Tuesday night, the Sabres will be taking on the Calgary Flames at home, and the Flames are looking to have a bit of an improved season from last year. They missed the playoffs last year by 11 points after having just a really flat last two months of their 17-18 season. To do that, they've made quite a few off-season moves. Um, They received Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm from Carolina in exchange for Dougie Hamilton, Michael Ferland, and a prospect, Adam Fox. And both of those guys, Lindholm and Hannafin, were... RFAs when they were traded for, and so the Flames handed them both six-year contracts worth just under $5 million apiece. They also signed James Neal uh, to a five-year contract. Uh, that's $5.75 million AAV. Um, so they're, they're probably, if you look at them, largely a strengthened team this year, um, building on a lot of significant talent that they already had. The, the big question mark, which is always the question mark with these teams that are trying to be contenders, is their goaltending. Um, they're sitting on Mike Smith right now. Um, if you, you might remember that Mike Smith is the scorer of that uh, famous butt goal against the Sabres in 2013 where the, the puck had nestled on his rear end and he backed into the goal for an overtime loss against the Sabres. Smith is 35 and obviously on the decline 
Um, something that's kind of interesting is that he ended up in Calgary a couple years ago in a trade that sent Chad Johnson and Brandon Hickey um, the other way to Arizona. Hickey is currently with the Rochester Americans. He had a .916 last season across 55 games, but this season hasn't gone well for him. I mean, he gave up six goals in 29 minutes in a 9-1 loss to the Penguins, and watching the highlights, it looked like a lot of them were savable. Their backup situation isn't much better with David Riddick. Riddick? Riddick? I'm not sure how you pronounce that one. Um, but it'll be one of their big question marks of the season is whether or not they can contend with a guy like that on the back end. Sabres do have to watch out for a lot of talent on the ice, um, none more so than Johnny Goudreau, who we mentioned earlier on today's pod. Um, he leads the team with five goals, nine assists, and four, uh, for 14 points. The Flames are 5-5-1 going into this game. They're on a three-game losing streak after starting fairly well. They play Toronto tomorrow night before playing the Sabres on Tuesday. After that, uh, the Sabres will take on Ottawa in a home-and-home in Ottawa on Thursday and home to Ottawa on a Saturday matinee. Um, We've talked at length about the Ottawa Senators on this podcast, um, basically talking about how they had a nightmare of a last season. They had a nightmare of an off season. Um, and just quick, quick recap. Uh, they went into this season with three of their best players, Mark Stone, Matt Duchesne, and Eric Carlson, being unrestricted free agents at the end of this season. They did eventually part ways with Eric Carlson to the Sharks. Um, they've got their Duchesne situation. He's a UFA, but he came in from Colorado, and they gave up their unprotected first-round draft pick for this year. All of a sudden, they are now a pretty poor team, which I don't think they expected to be when they gave up their first-round pick. So that first-round pick that is unprotected could be a top three, maybe even first overall pick that they don't have that's now sitting in the possession of the Colorado Avalanche. Um, Increasingly rough situation. They then had the situation with Mike Hoffman over the summer. Um, If you had to list the four best assets Um, In the Ottawa Senators, you obviously had Stone, Duchesne, and Carlson, and the next best asset is probably Mike Hoffman, and he was the only one locked up in any kind of long-term contract. There was some kind of issue with social media where Mike Hoffman's girlfriend posted something on Instagram about hoping that um, Eric Carlson's career got ended on the ice and that someone should take him out. It was just a horrible PR moment, and they had to separate Mike Hoffman and Eric Carlson, and Eric Carlson was your most valuable asset on the team. You couldn't move him at that time when his, in a position where you had to move him. So they moved Mike Hoffman, and they pitched him to San Jose, and the reason they pitched him to San Jose is that specifically they didn't want to trade Mike Hoffman somewhere in the division Less than an hour later after trading Mike Hoffman to the Sharks, he's pitched back the other way to Florida for in what was probably a better deal for the Sharks than Ottawa got for Mike Hoffman an hour before. So really, they lost two Mike Hoffman trades within an hour, um, and all of a sudden Mike Hoffman is back in their division. Um, it's just It's just a rough situation for Ottawa. It's bad PR, bad morale generally, but after all of that, things have started okay. Um, They're 4-4-1 on the season. It's not bad at all. 
They play Vegas tonight and Arizona Tuesday before Buffalo comes to town. Um, Matt Duchesne, Chris Tierney, who came over in that Evander Kane trade, and Thomas Chabot are um, floating around the top of their point table, all with between 10 and 11 points. One kind of negative point that, like, I wish we could watch this kid play against the Sabres, but uh, Brady Kachuk, their most recent first-round acquisition, is out um, with some just minor leg ligament damage. He had four goals in three games after they signed him to his entry-level contract. So unfortunate news for him. Hopefully we'll see him back soon. Sabres will end this next trek um, with a trip to Madison Square Garden to play the Rangers on Sunday night. Uh, Sabres met the Rangers earlier this season where they were 3-1 winners at home. Uh, Mika Zabanajad leads the team with nine points. They're 3-6-1 on the season, which is probably where we expected them to be. I wasn't totally sold on the Rangers being terrible and going full rebuild, but it looks like they will be floating around the bottom this year. They just they just need a reset with some new youth to come into the team. They are, thankfully, pretty primed to do it. Um, maybe not immediately, but if you look at cap friendly, a lot of their forward core consists of maybe slightly overpriced contract-wise guys whose contracts do expire over the next two years. So while they're kind of expensive, they are a lot of saleable assets at the deadline. Guys that you could say, like pitch for a couple picks and offer to retain some salary for the end of the season. Um, guys like Zuccarello and Hayes are up this year. They aren't amazing players, but they're definitely worth something at the deadline for a team that's looking to make a push. So we could see the Rangers try to make moves like that before the end of this season, but largely... This isn't going to be the season for them, and it doesn't look like they're going to have a season for them in the near future. Uh, Leading up to this game, the Rangers are on a West Coast trip where they're going to play the Kings, Sharks, and Ducks this week before coming home when the Sabres come to town. Down the road, the Rochester Americans have continued just an absolute tear of performance. They're on a seven-game point streak in which they've won six of those And we've got to talk about the stats leaders at the top of the table. Um, Earlier this week, there was a period of time where the top three AHL point leaders were Olofsson, Redman, and Pilot. Um, Interestingly enough, they are now the three out of the top four in that Phil Verone, a previous Rochester American, has snuck in and tied Pilot. But right now it sits Olofsson on 15 points, Zach Redman on 14 points, and Verone, uh, Veroni, uh, and pilot on 13 points. A lot of questions going on about who the first call-up is going to be, and I think the biggest question for this is just where is the room, and do you shake up two teams that are doing quite well by the standards that we were expecting? We were expecting the Rochester Americans to be very good this year. They're doing excellent. We were expecting the Sabres to be better this year, and they are. And caught in the middle of that is Tage Thompson right now. Um, He found himself out of the lineup with the Sabres, but you couldn't really justify sending him down because who do you take out of that lineup um, when a team is doing really well? How do you justify moving a guy out of the lineup for a team who hasn't even practiced with the team? Um, So Tage Thompson's kind of caught in the middle there. Lawrence Pilot is obviously looking even more than the player we thought he would be. So is Victor Olofsson, but the, the, the questions that are asked 
are like, who do you swap out on the Sabres for those two players? Olafson's a goal scorer. I don't know that you really want to bring him in for a bottom six role. And Pilot is a weird one because, I mean, you could see maybe moving him in for someone like Nathan Beaulieu, who's been in and out of the team. Um, but I don't know that you would really want to bring up Pilot to play bottom pairing minutes. Um, you'd really want him to be um, more on that top line. And so it's, it's just kind of a weird question where you're wondering, like, like who, who moves out of a lineup to bring those two guys in? I don't know that you're necessarily in a position where you can shake things up right now. Um, I am certain that we will see Pilot at some point this season wearing the blue and gold. I'm certain that we'll see Olafson at some point this season wearing the blue and gold. I just think something needs to go wrong first before this can occur. Um, and I think that not, nothing has gone massively wrong for either of these two teams for, for this to be something that we're going to see happen in the near future. Around town, um, Tom Wilson has had his appeal for his suspension rejected. He is going to appeal again via arbitration. Um, Some people have asked why he would bother. By the time that appeal is over, it'll be towards the end of his 20-game suspension. But now it's about the money. Um, He's not going to make it back on the ice before the end of his suspension, it looks like. But remember, he's losing out on well over a million dollars throughout this 20-game suspension. And if he can win that appeal, he can be awarded at least a part of that sum towards the end. So that's an interesting development. Other interesting development comes from Blues coach Mike Yeo, um, who openly said that he thinks his job should be in question. Um, The... St. Louis Blues are off to a very rough start. They are 3-4-3 on the season. Um, When Yeo made these comments, they only had two wins. They did beat Chicago 7-3 last night. But it's just an interesting standpoint for a coach to say, yes, we should be better and my job should be in question. Yes, I should be in danger of getting fired. Um, It is a team that you're expecting largely to be much better. They brought in Ryan O'Reilly, Perron, Bozak to an already pretty significantly significantly offensive team. Um, You would have thought they would have started better than they have. Um, It's just a lot of headlines when a coach coach says, yes, my, my job should be in question. I should be in danger of getting fired, but we'll go back to work and we'll blah, 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 the NHL hockey stuff. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily that weird. Like he's, he's an NHL hockey coach. He's not Barack Obama. Um, so I don't think we're, there's really a significant issue with his comments. Um, just an eye raiser. Moving on to our questions portions with a little mailbag. This question comes from Pat on Twitter. Um, and he wants to know, this is an excellent question. Who wins in a three V three tournament? The Swedes versus everybody else. Um, And this is just a fascinating question to think about. So I'm going to spit out what I think our lines would be. And then I'll talk about who I think would win. Um, Swedes, you've got Linus Allmark in goal. And then your top line is Nylander, Asplund, Dahlin. Second line would be Olofsson, Berglund, Pilot. Um, Those lines are obviously debatable. I put Asplund on the top line just because I worry a little bit about the mobility 
of Patrick Berglund in that circumstance. This is all, of course, totally theoretical. I don't think Patrick Berglund would get anywhere near a 3v3 um, outing in the, in this in this this type of forum. But if this were to occur, I think you'd see Asplund get in over Berglund. Um, but Olafson Berglund pilot to round out that second line. On the everybody else team, you've got Carter Hutton, and I've got my top line of Eichel, Skinner, and Risto, which was the same line that rolled out um, against the Columbus Blue Jackets in overtime. And the second line I was kind of iffy. I, I eventually went with uh, Kyle Ocposo, Sam Reinhart, and Jake McCabe. But I have Bogosian in parentheses there. Um, when he was healthy, he was usually flying out in that second overtime line. I remember he scored a great overtime goal um, in Montreal a couple seasons ago. Um, decently all-around complete player to play in an over or in a three v three situation. Um, in this lineup, Swedes versus everybody else. Um, I am going to give the everybody else column the edge for now. I think they are significantly better defensively aware. I mean, you look at that top line, you've got Nylander and Dahlin, um on that top line for the Swedes. Dahlin is pr- improving, I think, every game. Alex Nylander is is improving, but at a much slower pace with the Rochester Americans. He's always defensively suspect. While he has, I think, incredible ability while playing in space that he would get in a 3v3 situation, I would really worry about um, when he has to be responsible for things in a 3v3 situation on the back end. Also, something I think that is very underrated in this situation is Carter Hutton's puck playing ability. Um, we've seen so far this season just his ability to rather than wait for a defenseman to come back and collect the puck at his end, flip it up the ice um, and try to get play going right again or right immediately again. Um, I think that would be an incredible aspect of a 3v3 situation. I think it was something that unfortunately we didn't get to see that last night um, with against Columbus because Linus was in goal. Also, the Sabres never actually really had possession in that overtime period. But I think in a 3v3 situation, Carter Hutton's ability to fling the puck up the ice, especially with the added space of being in a 3v3 situation. I mean, you you almost essentially have a fourth puck playing player on the ice when you have Carter Hutton out there. So I'm, I'm giving the edge to the Americans for now. But revisit this question in two years, and who knows what the answer to this question is. I mean, obviously you've got some talent developing on the everyone else side of things, but who knows what a 3v3 situation of a line of Nylander, Olafson, and Dahlin would be capable of in a couple of years. Um, those guys, well, while effective young talents, who knows what they'll be capable of in a couple of years. It would be a really interesting question to revisit a little bit later. Patrick, thank you so much for your questions. Remember, guys, if you want to um, post in your questions, ickgaw on Twitter and ickgawpod at gmail.com. We would love to talk about your questions and have you get involved in the conversation. That is going to be it for our show. We will be coming at you next week with some previews of the upcoming Sabres games and recapping our games against the Flames, Senators, and Rangers. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we would love it so much if you would drop by iTunes and give us a five-star review. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. Keep those heads up, Sabres fans. It might not get much better, but remember... 
it can't get any worse. We'll see you guys soon. Kick in to Oposo. Oposo hanging on to it back at the point. Oposo drops it off in the corner to Eichel. Eichel buzzing around. Eichel in the second lane. Score!